Ah, yes. Welcome to MLB Morning Coffee, a Saturday edition. This is your host, Greg Mraz. You're probably wondering, well, why don't we have another top 10 list today? We hope that you enjoyed our first two top 10 lists, the San Francisco Giants and the Chicago Cubs. We're going to be having another couple coming at you in the next couple of days, but there was some news that came in Major League Baseball yesterday, and I felt like it was worth taking a break from a nostalgia piece to actually update you on what's going on with Major League Baseball. There's no timeline in regards to when the game is coming back. Obviously, COVID-19 is getting worse and worse throughout the United States, and the exponential predictions of how this virus was going to spread throughout the United States and really throughout the world continues to prove true, although at this point the United States has done a worse job than anybody else because people don't pay attention to social distancing guidelines. However, our critiques of American society are not for this podcast. That's for another hypothetical podcast that maybe I'll do someday. I still have a basketball podcast that I need to get back to recording in the next couple of days because I haven't recorded an episode for quite a while. Major League Baseball's owners and the MLB Players Association agreed to a deal in regards to what might happen if there is no baseball played this year. This came after two weeks of morning-to-night negotiations that involved the players, owners, agents, executives, union officials, the commissioner, and the commissioner office's staff. Two journalists in particular, ESPN's Jeff Passan and the Athletics' Ken Rosenthal, came forward with a lot of details, but Jeff Passan, he came up with some of the details that are going to effectively say when baseball starts again, if it starts again. So here are the conditions. Number one, there are no bans on mass gatherings that would limit the ability to play in front of fans. However, the commissioner could still consider the use of appropriate substitute neutral sites were economically feasible. What this effectively means is that baseball is not playing games in front of empty stadiums. That's not happening. And when they talk about neutral sites, what this effectively means is that they are willing to play games so late in the year that they'll have to put them at sites where it doesn't snow or it doesn't get cold. Ergo, Miami or a dome like Milwaukee or Seattle where you can close the elements and still have an actual baseball game. Number two, there are no travel restrictions throughout the United States and Canada. Right now, because of how this virus spreads and how it can spread from person to person, people aren't taking flights. There are travel restrictions from the United States to Europe. Canada and Mexico have closed their borders to the United States. A lot of other countries have done the same thing. So basically, you need to be able to roam freely. And if you're able to roam freely, then that means that restrictions have been eased simply because of the fact that the virus has subsided. Now, it may not actually ever completely subside. It's a virus. It may end up living in our ecosystem forever. We don't know that. And that leads into condition number three, which is medical experts determined that there would be no health risk for players, staff, or fans, with commissioners and unions still able to revisit the idea of playing in empty stadiums. Now, that's somewhat contradictory to the first point, but it still underscores that health experts are concerned about a potential worst-case scenario. So they want to make sure that everything is back to normal. The problem is, is that we don't know that yet. And I think that we've come to the stark realization that there's a very good chance that there is no baseball this season. There is a reality that 2020 goes without baseball. And that's just because of the health crisis. I mean, Kirk Herbstreet said yesterday 
on ESPN Radio that he would be surprised if there was any college football or NFL games this year. And college football and NFL games are not scheduled to start until early September. I mean, that's how far we're projecting events out at this point. The Olympics were postponed an entire year, which means there's no way that we're getting any events happening by the time July comes around. Granted, it's still March 28th, but we have to project that far down the road. Opening day was supposed to happen two days ago, and we're no closer to the end of this problem. We're still, in my opinion, more toward the beginning. And again, a lot of that's unpredictable. COVID-19 is not a person. It's a pathogen. It doesn't care what we think. It doesn't care what we do. It's going to do what it's naturally designed to do. Simply put, you can't fight a virus. You can only hope to contain the spread of it. And that's why we have no sports. Because people are dying from this thing. And it's not just seniors at this point. Young people are dying from it. You cannot take risks. And if you take risks and you endanger more people of dying, it will exponentially continue to grow pandemics grow exponentially and that's why major league baseball has effectively put in this case scenario to where they're not going to play baseball games unless they know there is zero percent chance of anybody that steps foot inside those stadiums inside those locker rooms inside those dugouts and on that field of getting infected with COVID-19. However, part of the deal that got struck last night has to do with what's going to happen in regards to pay, service time, and the draft for this upcoming season. And there are some ramifications that are potentially going to spell a doomsday scenario for a lot of the 42 teams that are on Major League Baseball's contraction list. So, let's start with service time. You have to play a certain amount of games in a year to be credited with a full year of service time. And why is service time important? Because you have to have X amount of years of service time, I believe it's seven, in order to become an unrestricted free agent. That's the grievance that Chris Bryant brought against the Cubs this past offseason. Because if you remember, Chris Bryant more than likely would have started the 2015 season on the Cubs opening day roster. But they didn't want to start his service time clock early. And if he had played more than 125 games in that season, or rather on the roster for more than 125 games, he would have been credited with a full year of service time. So the Cubs held him back in AAA Iowa until that 125 had passed, or rather that there was no possibility for him being on the roster for 125 regular season games, and then they brought him up. Bryant's grievance to Major League Baseball was that they manipulated his roster status so that he wouldn't qualify for a full year of service time and thus be eligible for unrestricted free agency a year later than he would have initially. And because he lost that grievance and because they didn't give him that full year of service time, Chris Bryant is eligible for free agency after the 2021 season instead of after the 2020 season. However, It's because of cases like this and making sure that the players have the right to go wherever they want in free agency that Major League Baseball and the Players Union effectively agreed to give everybody on a Major League roster a full year of service time, which means a year off of your contract expires automatically. There's no stay put in on this. You are effectively in the majors for a full year if there are no games played at all this season. 
which means anybody that was a free agent after the 2020 season will still be a free agent when the free agency cycle hits going into 2021, which means if there is no baseball in 2020, guys like Mookie Betts, JT Realmuto, Jeff Samarja, and others will be free agents. Now, Betts is the biggest case here because he was acquired with one year left on his contract from the Red Sox during this offseason. And there's the possibility that Mookie Betts will never play a single major league game for the L.A. Dodgers because what this agreement says is that his contract year goes all the way through. And he is granted that year of service time, and the Dodgers have no rights over him after this 2020 baseball calendar year is over. Now, if the game does get started, they effectively play as if nothing had happened. Now, the salaries part of it is the next portion of this. But first, let's kind of sum up what this does. This is protecting the players and their right to make more money whenever they have the chance to leave via free agency. It helps guys that are not yet toward free agency that are going to get toward unrestricted free agency earlier. And the reason why getting toward unrestricted free agency is critical is that guys enter after a certain amount of service time, they enter their arbitration years, which means that the club will submit a certain salary figure for what they want that player to make for that upcoming year. They're still under what's called team control. So you effectively are under the control of the team, so you don't become a free agent. But your contract status changes every year. So you submit a figure, the team submits a figure, and then a third-party arbitrator rules on a third figure. And basically whatever balance to whether it goes to the player's side or the team's side is based on what that arbitrator says. So if you win your arbitration case, then you end up getting what you want. If you lose, more than likely you end up getting what the team wants. In fact, I actually am pretty sure that it is one of those two figures. Now, it just depends upon what the player wants, what the team wants. And a lot of times, those figures are drastically different. A lot of times, you're going to see the team lowball the player in terms of that yearly salary, potentially by about a difference of $5 million. You know, you could have a guy that wants $15 million for that next year, and you're only willing to submit $10 million. Now, if a guy had a bad year the year before, the player is more than likely going to lose his case. If he had a great year the year before, the player's more than likely going to win his case. But that arbitration figure slowly and slowly climbs. But you cannot cash in past, usually, for a lot of guys, around $15 million. So, let's get to the salaries portion of this. Major League Baseball agreed, along with the Players Union, that the union is not going to sue the league for full salaries in the event that there's no season. MLB is going to advance players $170 million over the next two months, and the MLB Players Association will divvy up that lump sum of money among four classes of players, with the majority of it going to players that have guaranteed major league contracts. What this provision effectively does is protect the players from earning no money, because with no work, players are not getting paid by their clubs. It's not as if they're an injured player in the season still going on. Players were not getting paid because there were no games. A lot of these contracts end up getting paid in regards to game checks. So guys were not getting paid with no games going on. What this does is that it ensures that players are still going to get paid even if it's not in their full amount. 
Major League Baseball takes a compromise and says, well, we're not going to pay the players their full amount of salary because we're not making any revenue right now, but the players are still going to get paid this amount because we need to make sure that they still get paid, otherwise we could get sued for labor rights laws. Now, I don't exactly know what those laws are. I'm not an attorney. I don't know the first thing about labor law in regards to contracts, but what this does is it gives Major League Baseball players a financial cushion that they may not have had otherwise. Now, for guys that have already made tens of millions of dollars, this is a drop in the bucket. But for guys that are making the Major League minimum, it still ensures that they get paid. And I think that's a good thing. The biggest issue I have, what are you going to do to support minor leaguers? I understand supporting the Major League players, but... There are no provisions in terms of guaranteeing minor league players get paid. There are a lot of players that were not guaranteed to get paid anything, even though they're supposed to be playing in the span of about two weeks. Minor league opening day is April 9th. There was no guarantees that these players were going to get paid at all. Now, some organizations have taken it upon themselves to continue to pay their minor league players, but a lot of them won't because they don't see the need to. They don't want to pay those players if they don't have to. They'd rather keep the money for themselves. So minor league players get screwed in this, but a lot of the major leaguers who were worried that they weren't going to get their full sums of money, they look like they're all right. The guys that are playing at the highest level have some peace with this. I still feel bad for the minor leaguers because they deserve to get paid what they were supposed to get paid, and even what they were supposed to get paid is still minimalistic compared to anybody on the 40-man roster. I mean, guys that are on the 40-man roster are guaranteed six figures. Guys that are in A ball and high A are making anywhere from 1500 to 2000 a month. In a lot of places, that's not a living wage. It's not. And they don't get paid during the offseason. So find a way to pay them now because they can't make any money right now. And heck, they probably can't even make any money outside of baseball because there's nobody anywhere that's hiring right now. Now, granted, I know grocery stores are and Amazon is, but look, I want to address this right here. I have a compromised immune system. If I was in this situation, I wouldn't want to leave the house. I wouldn't want to go to work because there's too big of a chance of me getting sick, and I don't want to die, and nobody wants to die. And you have the risk of not only getting sick, but spreading it to your loved ones, and that's not okay. That's something you cannot afford to do in this scenario, in this time. I feel like Mike Singletary when he was ranting about his players. Can I win with them? Can I coach with them? Can't do it. I want winners. I want people who want to win. By the way, Mike Singletary's 49ers coaching speeches back in the day, those were absolutely legendary, and I recommend anybody that feels like a good chuckle right now, and I feel like we all could use a good chuckle, to go back and watch those. The thing I want to address, though, the last part of this, is the 2020 MLB draft. And this, to me, is the biggest disaster in this whole agreement. Major League Baseball was a 50-round draft until 2012, And then in 2012, it went down to 40. And there were talks in the new CBA that would go down to 30. Well, guess what it's going to be whenever the draft happens? Five. That's right, five rounds. There's a potential to extend it to 10, a provision that everybody would have to sign off on. But right now, it's going to be five rounds. 
players that get drafted in those five rounds will only be eligible to receive up to $100,000 of their bonus in this year. Now, a lot of guys that get drafted in the first round end up with bonuses of more than $5 million. You know, most guys that get drafted in the top 10 rounds end up with a bonus of over $100,000, except if you're a senior sign and you effectively get drafted for your talent, but you have absolutely no leverage in terms of what they offer you. And a lot of times you get signed for less than $10,000, which is not very much when it comes to the signing pool. The worst part of this is, is that not only are there only going to be five rounds of the draft, potentially 10, but knowing baseball, I feel like they're going to keep it at five, undrafted free agents can sign for a maximum of $20,000. That's it. That's as much as you can offer somebody. And for a lot of guys that are seniors and may have to start their careers and worry about making money, they can't sign for $20,000. And most of those guys that end up do getting signed aren't even going to get offered that. So if you're only going to have five rounds and assuming that not a whole lot of guys end up signing contracts, you put yourself in an absolute bind of a situation when it comes to filling out minor league rosters. Short season rosters are going to be screwed because you're not going to have enough players to fill out a lot of those rosters. Now you're thinking, okay, maybe we could go with the same guys that we had last year for the most part. Well, a lot of guys got cut in the offseason. A lot of guys retired. Players move on. I mean, it's no guarantee that you're going to have as many available players to choose from. And that goes into the fact that Major League Baseball may end up in 2021, this is part of the provision, they may end up only having a 20-round draft in 2021. This is terrible for many reasons, but I want to highlight two. Number one, it's going to take away the opportunity for a lot of seniors that wanted a chance to play pro baseball to do so. You're not going to have the stories of the 39th round pick that somehow found its way to the majors because there's not going to be a 39th round. You don't let your player development system be able to take a guy, develop his talents, have him grow, and somehow find his way to the big leagues. You know, Mark Burley, I believe, was like a 32nd round pick, and he was one of the best pitchers of the decade of the 2000s. Mark Burley had a no-hitter, and he also had a perfect game. He was that good for a guy that was not heavily scouted, for somebody that people didn't really think that highly of coming out of college. And you know what? Mark Burley, drafted as late as he was, used the player development system of the White Sox to turn himself into a very solid Major League Baseball player. And you will not allow for stories like that to happen if you decide to kill the draft in the way that you're killing it. The second part of this that's terrible is that by drafting less players, you are putting in motion your plan to contract 42 minor league baseball teams. That's what this excuse is. They don't want to pay as many players so they can get rid of minor league baseball teams, get rid of affiliated short season outside of the complex leagues. That's what they want to do. That's why they're limiting the draft pool. Pay less players so we can take away teams. That's what this meant. That's what signing this meant for these guys to potentially take minor league baseball out of 42 different cities. That's what this meant. So shame on you for thinking there's any positive to this. Because there's not. You're not taking care of minor leaguers, and you're not taking care of the communities that worship minor league baseball and use it as their outlet to enjoy the game of baseball, to root for those guys that go from the farm to the show. 
you limit the draft and you limit the amount of teams that you have in minor league baseball. It's as simple as that, in my opinion. I want to go to an article that was written by J.J. Cooper of Baseball America, who I think has done the absolute best in terms of reporting how this relates to the minor league contraction and how the draft is going to have an impact on college baseball and on minor league baseball. So reading directly from the article, and bear with me, quote, Under the terms of the deal hammered out between MLB and the MLB Players Association, the 2020 draft will be cut to no fewer than five rounds. Now it says that MLB can expand it if it so chooses, and several scouting departments hold out hope that it could be expanded to 10. The draft will be held as early as the current June 10 start date and as late as July 20. The dates for both periods are fluid because of the evolving novel coronavirus situation. If the signing period is pushed back, the current signing period, set to expire on June 15th, will also be extended. But no rising 16-year-olds will be eligible to sign until the next period begins. That is, by the way, not the period in reference to the draft, but in terms of the international signing period. Just wanted to make sure that we had that clarification in there. The article continues, quote, The draft signing deadline will be August 1st at the latest, although it could move up based on the draft date. The expectation is that MLB will set a draft date roughly one month before the draft takes place to give teams time to prepare. While no details have been formalized, it is expected that the current draft date will be used to set the cutoff date for draft-eligible 21-year-olds even if the draft date itself is pushed back. For both the 2020 and 2021 draft, there are provisions for voluntary showcases before the draft, dependent on prevailing conditions around the country, to attempt to help MLB teams see players whose seasons have been cut short by the coronavirus. A reduction to five rounds would be a dramatic change for what has always been major U.S. sports' largest draft. For nearly four decades, the MLB draft ran until the last team decided to stop selecting. In 1996, the Yankees picked for 100 rounds, setting the all-time record that will likely never be broken. The draft was cut to 50 rounds in 1998, then slashed to 40 rounds in 2012. Cutting the draft to five rounds would be reducing the draft in one year by 86%, and J.J. actually did the numbers on these. Last year, there were 167 players taken in the top five rounds, and overall, there were 1,217 players drafted and 960 who signed. So when we talk about like the percentage of players that get drafted versus signed, it's basically in the 40-round draft format. You get around 30 to 35 of each team, and basically... The rough math on 960 over 1217 is about 75%. Continues. Potentially even more important, teams would be limited to spending no more than $20,000 to sign any undrafted player. Previous teams could spend up to $125,000 on any late-round pick and an undrafted player without reaching into their bonus pool. Such a provision ensures cost containment for owners at the expense of limiting opportunities for prospective pro players. Of the 960 players who signed last year, 680 signed for more than $20,000. And that, to me, is the big kicker. Let's do the math on that real quick. After my brief calculation, it is 70.8%. 70.8% of players that got drafted and signed last year, not that got drafted, but that got drafted and signed, signed for more than $20,000. The article continues, quote, And for the next two years, teams will have no flexibility when it comes to spending on undrafted free agents. In past years, teams could use money left over from their bonus pool allotment to exceed the $125,000 limit for a player who went undrafted. 
Most famously, the Reds spent $700,000 to sign T.J. Friedel, who went undrafted and then impressed scouts while playing for Team USA. The Reds could do this because they had leftover money they were allowed to spend as part of their total bonus pool. For the next two years, the draft spending will be use it or lose it. It can only be spent on players who were drafted. Anyone undrafted will be limited to a maximum $20,000 bonus. Here's where Cooper gets opinionated. Such a decision will make a major impact as some teams have been very aggressive in spending in later rounds while other teams are much more conservative in spending as the draft wears on. Last year, 14 teams spent more than $1 million after the 15th round. Now, to clarify, that's $1 million in aggregate, not $1 million on an individual player. Four teams spent less than $700,000. The Braves were the most cost-aggressive, as they spent $2.83 million after the 15th round. The Dodgers spent $2.28 million, including five undrafted free agent signings. The Cubs spent $672,000 after the 15th round, while the A's spent just $345,000, the lowest of any team. What this is going to force players to do is it's going to basically force a lot of high school players who were going to end up getting signed to go to school. Because unless a guy's a consensus first-round pick and the fact that he's not going to get that five-plus-million-dollar bonus, he's not even going to end up getting a quarter of what he was supposed to be paid. And you also look at how this impacts D1 baseball programs. Guys who are committed there, more than likely, if they felt like they want to get drafted in 2021 or 2022, then they skip out on going to D1 colleges and they go play in junior college so that they can leave after one year and be eligible to be drafted the next year. You are going to have an incredible talent pool across the major junior college ranks because you've got a lot of high school guys that more than likely they would sign if they were drafted after the fifth round, but they're not going to forego a college baseball experience for only $20,000. Former White Sox prospect, and he made the majors with the White Sox, and I believe with the Dodgers and the Braves as well, Micah Johnson, said there was no way he could have ever signed for $20,000. He said the money that he got when he was drafted in the ninth round went to support his family, and that his family couldn't support him if he'd only taken a $20,000 signing bonus. Then you add in a minor league salary. Like, $20,000 is a tiny drop in the bucket for any player. That's good starter money, but that's nowhere near a living wage if you add in his minor league salary. Like, it just doesn't happen like that. Guys have to be able to make a living wage, and right now, this draft is effectively discouraging players from playing pro baseball. Unless you're a consensus first-round pick, there's no reason to go sign unless you're a senior that probably feels like this is going to be his only chance at playing affiliated pro baseball and decides, what the heck, I'll sign for nothing. You know, I have a career after baseball already set. Let's give this a go and see how far it can go. And that's what you're going to see with a lot of seniors. Now, we had reported, and it was widely reported, that everybody that was a spring sport athlete was going to get an extra year of eligibility. Now, that was the case for Division II and Division Three athletes. It has not yet been decided for Division I athletes. So there is a chance that a lot of current seniors do not get an extra year of eligibility. And if that's the case, they may take whatever they can get and just go play pro baseball because they're not going to have a chance to be able to play again next year. And even with an opportunity to play again next year, they have no leverage. If Major League Baseball decided to hold a normal draft, seniors 
who would have had another year of eligibility would have had some leverage. They would have been able to sign for more money than they probably would have as a normal senior sign because they would have had the opportunity to go back to college. They would have been treated as a junior. But for a lot of those seniors, they weren't going to be taken in the top five rounds. Very few of them, if that, unless they were a consensus top five round talent and teams want to take them there because they want that talent in the system. Most seniors get taken in the 10th round or later because they have no leverage and there's no reason for a team to overpay for a guy that they don't have to overpay for. It's effectively what we give you is what we give you because they can't leverage that against anything else. And that is why, to me, this concept of a draft is an indictment on Major League Baseball, on Rob Manfred and the Players Association that are screwing over college baseball players. They don't care about guys that are going to start their dreams. They only care about the guys that already have the money in their pocket. Period. That's what this was about. It was about protecting the money in teams' pockets. And not only that, they're going to end up paying less players because of this, which means that they're going to use this as an excuse to contract minor league baseball teams. That Major League Baseball is going to force minor league teams out of existence because teams are going to voluntarily pay less players. And MLB will decide that certain minor league teams are no longer needed. And that's why they will take them out. Effectively speaking, however they decide to organize it, and there's a plan that they want to make the Northwest League a full season league, it's currently a short season league, and eliminate teams in the Midwest League and the South Atlantic League along with a couple of other teams at higher levels and basically make short season baseball outside of the complexes a thing of the past and reorganize the minor leagues to have less teams, fewer levels, which means less players. In other words, it's all terrible. And shame on you, Major League Baseball, and shame on you, Major League Baseball Players Association, for agreeing to this and killing the dreams of future professional baseball players and killing baseball potentially in 42 communities across the United States. And with that, we'll mic drop, get on out of here, and talk to you on Monday with another edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Have a great weekend, stay safe, and hopefully Major League Baseball and the Players Association will show some remorse for the awful deal that they just made.